welcome to episode 121 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercogliano of the USA Today Network, and we are about halfway through training camp and ready to really dive in and roll up our sleeves as we prepare for the new season to begin. That season will start next Thursday, October 12th in Buffalo against the Sabres, but we have some housekeeping to take care of in the meantime. We're going to have two more podcasts before the season starts. We'll have this one today, and we'll have another one right before the opener next week. So we have a lot to discuss in the meantime. We're coming at you a day early this week because the Rangers are playing back-to-back preseason games, their final two preseason games, one on Wednesday night in New Jersey against the Devils, and then another on Thursday at home against the Boston Bruins. So got a lot I want to get to on this week's episode. We're going to be joined by friend of the program, fellow Rangers beat writer Colin Stevenson from Newsday in just a little bit. I was thinking about all of my impressions and and thoughts and observations from training camp up to this point, but I was also thinking about how there are very few of us who actually get to watch every practice, or at least get to watch every practice and talk about it publicly in the way that I do. And so I thought it would be kind of cool to have a different perspective, get somebody in here who maybe sees things a little differently. Trust me, Colin and I talk every day and we don't always see all of this stuff eye to eye exactly. So I think having a differing point of view will add to the episode and will make things a little interesting. So I'm definitely going to pick Colin's brain about where he stands on some of the hot topics in camp so far. And you guys know Colin and I spend a lot of time together, get along really well. So I'm sure we'll have some fun with that interview as well. Now, before we get to that, let's kind of assess where we're at at this point. The Rangers have played four preseason games so far. As I mentioned, they have two more to go. The first four, for being honest, haven't really been anything to write home about. They're one and three up to this point. We had spoken last week after what stands now as their only win so far in the preseason against the Islanders, which was an encouraging performance in a lot of ways. But the last two games that have occurred since we last spoke have not been particularly sharp for the Rangers. We, in fact, even though it's only preseason, we got our first glimpse of a displeased Peter Laviolette following the 5-3 loss to the Islanders on Long Island Saturday night. That game was ugly for the first two periods. I mean, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't even know what to say about this game because it's preseason. You certainly don't want to overreact, but there was very little going right for the Rangers in the first two periods of that game. The third period, they rallied, they showed some fights. So that was a positive to take away if you were looking for one. But Laviolette was not really talking about the positives after this game. He was using some pretty, not harsh language. I don't want to say he was cursing or anything like that. But it was clear that he was not happy at all with what he observed from his new team. He called it unacceptable. He said there are no excuses for them to play that way. He said it's not who we are or who we want to be. And he was clearly, if you listen to that press conference 
or read my story afterwards, clearly calling the Rangers' effort into question. And it's a little bit of a fine line there because, of course, it's preseason, and so you're not expecting guys to completely sell out, risk injury, those types of things in this setting. But for LaViolette, who we know has really emphasized at this camp wanting high effort, wanting to play with pace and speed and intensity all the time, that he's trying to set that tone right off the bat. And that includes preseason games. I asked him during that post-game press conference if part of that maybe could be chalked up to that period of adjustment, the learning curve for this team as they're adapting to a new system. And he responded to that with probably my favorite quote of the night when he said, back-checking is a universal language. He was trying to make the point that, yes, there are going to be hiccups with this team as they learn his system, but when it comes to simple things that just require you to play hard, like back-checking, like forward-checking, like defending, those are areas where he does not see any excuse for this team to be mailing it in, and he certainly felt like they mailed it in in that situation. So he he took the opportunity to send the message. Again, at least from my perspective, you don't want to see your star players throwing themselves in front of slap shots or anything else where they're putting their body in harm's way. But LaViolette is trying to show that he will not put up with laziness. We heard this from previous coaches, if we're being honest as well. The Rangers have been harped on by Gerard Gallant and also before that by David Quinn for wanting them to play this grittier game, wanting them to engage in battles and compete as hard as they can on every single shift. And LaViolette is trying to see if he can be the guy who finally gets that switch to flip all the time. We've seen the Rangers do it in spurts in recent seasons, but he is trying to make that, as he's pointed out many times, their identity. And he's hell-bent on turning them into a hard-working team. And again, he has tried to send that message at every turn. If there's been a theme of this training camp, that has been it. And when he saw them come out with such a slow start and a lackadaisical effort for the first two periods of that game against the Islanders, it certainly seemed to make his blood boil a little bit. So the message was sent. I know the Rangers... On Sunday, the day after that game, did not practice, but he did have the team in to review video and I'm sure go over some of the plays that he did not like from that game against the Islanders and call them out and make sure that they understand that he does not find that acceptable. And then they had a long practice on Monday. It was about a two-hour session. Another practice today, the day we're recording on Tuesday, and now they're going to get a chance to sort of heed their coach's message and put out a better product, they hope, at least on the ice on Wednesday. If you're looking at that game on Saturday, there were several culprits. I don't think there were many guys who played well. You could even look at some of the young guys who scored at the end of the game, Will Cooley, Brennan Hoffman. They ended on a high note, but I didn't think that those guys were as strong earlier in the game as we had seen them in previous games. So there wasn't really too many guys I would point at and say, well, that guy was the outlier. You know, he was really good on Saturday. I think the whole team, for the most part, struggled. That lack of effort seemed a little bit contagious. But the most noticeable line in a bad way was what amounted to the top line on that night of Artemi Panarin, 
Vincent Trocheck, and Alexi Lafreniere. They were minus three in the first period alone. That is pretty difficult to do. The Rangers fell into a 3-0 hole in that first period, and that trio was on the ice for all three goals against. And if you go back and you watch those plays, they were at fault on all three of those plays as well, whether it was turnovers or, as LaViolette pointed out after the game, poor efforts on the back check, the Islanders making them pay in transition, and the Rangers not skating hard enough to come back on the play and defend. And that was certainly a troubling sign, and it makes me feel like we're probably not going to see those three together again anytime soon. Panarin definitely made some glaring mistakes that directly led to goals. I thought the rust was really apparent on him. To be fair, this was his first preseason action coming off of a minor injury that caused him to miss a day of practice earlier in the week. So I find it hard to really get too worked up about what we saw from him, even though it was certainly not good. But what's become a much, I think, bigger talking point, especially among the fan base right now, I mean, my mentions are just loaded with this the last 24, 48 hours, is Alexi Lafreniere. And I want to spend a little time on that before we get to our chat with Colin. There's been a lot of hyperbole surrounding the former number one overall pick, and a lot of it is over the top, in my opinion. But there's no hiding from the fact that he is not having a great camp. LaViolette gave him quite clearly the first crack at filling that right wing void on the top line. Even though he's talked about experimenting and moving things around, the most consistent thing that we saw in that first week of camp is that Lafreniere was playing right wing on the top line, typically next to Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider. And he simply has not done enough to seize that opportunity. The difference between him, at least in my opinion, and guys like Panarin and Zibanejad, who both of those guys have definitely struggled this preseason, is that those two are established stars. Their main focus is getting into the season healthy. Nothing that they do in this preseason is going to make or break them going into the regular season. On the other hand, Lafreniere has more to play for right now. He's trying to prove that he's ready to take on more responsibility. And I think the message right now is that we're just not seeing enough urgency from him. There was a back-checking play in that game against the Islanders. First goal of the game, I believe, from Peugeot where Lafreniere got burned coming back on the play and didn't look like he was skating as hard as he could be to get back and defend. And again, I get it. It's preseason. I don't want to sit here and be banging on the desk and make a huge deal out of this. But he's in a position right now where if he goes out and grabs that opportunity with both hands and makes it clear to Peter Laviolette, I'm ready for this. I want to take on more. It's my time then I absolutely believe that you would have seen him in the opening night lineup on the top line. And even though I think Laviolette has been very careful not to be critical publicly, at least to this point, the actions that we're seeing in the last handful of days kind of tell you that that opportunity is slipping through his fingers. Now, again, there's 82 games coming up. And at any point over the course of this regular season, if he starts playing well, I can very easily envision him jumping back up onto the top line or into the top six 
I am by no means writing him off this season. I want to make that very, very clear. He could still go on and make the jump or have the breakout season that a lot of people have been waiting for with him. That all is well within his power to make that happen. But right now, the last couple of days at practice, we've seen him drop down in the lineup a little bit. We've seen them looking at other top line combinations, and it seems like LaViolette has not been convinced by what he's seen to stick with him in the spot where he originally had him. I've seen a lot of fans asking about his offseason training, but honestly, I think a lot of that is way over the top. These rumors tend to get fueled on the internet, and we know how they can take on a life of its own. For whatever reason, there's people out there who like to make things personal or really go to the worst-case scenarios in their mind, the social media world, as great as it is for a lot of things, it also can kind of make these negative things really fester in a crazy way. So take all that with a grain of salt. To me, it's not so much is he training properly in the offseason. The bigger issue is the work ethic that we're seeing on the ice. I mentioned that back-checking play against the Islanders. And quite frankly, last season, when Gerard Gallant made him a healthy scratch, which was kind of a big story at the time, I, I remember it happening around Christmas, he was also talking about the effort and the defense, the on-ice work ethic, the going all out on every shift and, and playing like your hair is on fire. That has not been consistent enough with him. It's now two coaches in a row that we've kind of gotten that indication from, although again, LaViolette has not come out and, and criticized these things. It just looks like He's probably leaning toward not having him on the top line. So I want to be clear about that here as well. But I, I think it's more of the amount of effort and work ethic that you're showing on the ice as it is jumping to conclusions about what he's doing in the offseason. Again, the Internet seems to kind of make those things take on a life of its own. And I don't think that's entirely fair, especially coming from a lot of people who probably have no idea what this guy is doing in the offseason to get him ready. I know from talking to him, it sounds like he spent a lot of time working on his skating and some of those areas that we felt like he needed to improve on over the summer. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think he was not doing what he should be doing over the summer. I'm going to base what I'm talking about on what I'm seeing on the ice. And what I'm seeing on the ice is they got to see more from him before I think they're going to be ready to really hand over the reins. Even though it seemed like that was their intention, and in an ideal world, they would love for him to all of a sudden be a guy who they can't turn down for an opportunity like that. Be a guy, again, who's grabbing that opportunity with both hands and making the most of it. For now, it does look like they're leaning toward replacing him on that top line spot with Capo Caco. He skated on the top line with Zabanajad and not Kreider, but Artemi Panarin for Monday's practice, and it sounds like that is what we're going to see for Wednesday's game as well. So that's an interesting, different little trio right there with Panarin, Zabanajad, and Kako. That'll definitely be one of the things to keep your eye on when they play in New Jersey on Wednesday. Lafreniere, LaViolette said, will not play on Wednesday, but he made a valid point. A lot of people are assuming that this is some disciplinary thing or sending a message. And again, him moving down in the lineup, I think does send somewhat of a message, but LaViolette made a very valid point that I 
fully take as reasonable here that Lafreniere is one of the only guys who's played in three of the four preseason games so far. If you were to play Wednesday and Thursday in the back-to-back situation, that would make it five out of six preseason games that he's played in. And Laviolette told us earlier in camp, most of his guys, the number he's aiming for is three or four games in the preseason. So five out of six would be excessive. And it does sound like Lafreniere will be right back in there Thursday. So that's another one of those things I wouldn't read too much into at this point. Laviolette also said that the experiment with Lafreniere moving to right wing is not over, although he's skated at left wing a little bit the last couple of days. So it sounds like that right wing opportunity that he had is another one of those things where maybe they might be walking back on that a little bit right now. At this point, it sounds most likely or looks most likely that it'll maybe be more of a third line role for him out of the gate as opposed to the top line opportunity that we thought it might be about a week ago. So again, you got that new top line of Panarin, Zabanajad, and Kako. That's what we'll see for Wednesday. If they play well, you would assume that maybe they have a chance to go into the regular season opening that way. But the rest of the lineup remains very much up in the air, particularly because Philip Heedle hasn't practiced with the team in a week now due to an upper body injury. The more days he misses, the more you have to sort of have your concern heightened. But Laviolette did say following Monday's practice, I believe it was, that he still is hopeful that he'll be ready for opening night. They're just being overly cautious because it's the preseason. So don't sound any alarm bells or anything like that right now. But if we get into early next week and Hedl still isn't practicing, then my concern meter would certainly be dialed up a bit as far as him being ready for that opener in Buffalo. And that sort of leaves some other things in this lineup in flux, because I do believe that Hedl was going to have a real chance to also break into the top six. I think he was going to have that opportunity put on his plate and Laviolette was going to see if he seized it. Now we got to see how it shakes out. If he isn't ready for some reason, that would open up an opportunity for somebody else. It looks like the second line that we're going to see for that Wednesday game in Jersey will have Chris Kreider, Vincent Trocek, and Blake Wheeler. And then the bottom six is going to have a mix of some of the veteran guys like Goudreau and Benino and Pitlick. And it also looks like Will Cooley and Brennan Offman, who are still hanging around in this camp, were down to just 25 players. And those two young forwards are among them, reinforcing the opinion that they're both having good camps. They're going to get another look on Wednesday night as well. I have a feeling... We're going to talk about those guys a little bit more later on in the show. So with that, I'm going to wrap up this opening segment and we'll shift gears to this conversation with Colin Stevenson. And once that's over, I'll be back to answer some of your Twitter questions. Now let's welcome in a man who probably needs no introduction to our audience because you've heard him on here before. You probably read his stuff after you're done reading mine, and that would be Colin Stevenson, our friend from Newsday. Colin, it's been about like an hour and a half since we last saw each other. So <laughs> It's that time of year, man. We're, we're seeing each other more than we're seeing our families. It's crazy. It's good. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, it sounds like you've just been occupying your time since you left the rink fighting with Islanders fans. Well, there, there is some of that, you know, I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I love doing the Islander uh, podcast with, with Andrew Gross, our, our Newsday beat writer for them. And, uh, 
we have so much fun with, you know, we had so much fun when they were in the playoffs and we would, we would podcast together after a game. So we just laugh, you know, the whole thing and, and the fans, you know, the, the listeners like it, but so I, I like to do it whenever we do games against them, you know, like podcasts with them. And so we did one, but now the Islander fans are mad at me because of course I don't really have a high opinion of the Islanders team necessarily. And, uh, you know, I, I think some of these people are, are not, not happy with, with my take on it. They think that you are not putting enough stock into Julian Gauthier and what a difference he's going to make for that lineup this year. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that this particular guy was telling me is that, okay, they lost, you know, because I said basically they're bringing back the same team. And he says, well, we don't have Zach Parisi. And I'm thinking Zach Parisi scored 20 goals and they they replaced him with Julian Gauthier. I'm pretty sure Julian Gauthier is not going to score 20 goals. I mean, I I don't know if that's an upgrade. Maybe he will. Who knows? I, it sounds like Andrew was saying the other night, it looks like he might play on the third line for them. He never really got that kind of opportunity in New York. But we know that when it came to finishing some of those opportunities, <laughs> that wasn't always his strong suit. So, yeah. you know, but, listen, we, hope, we hope the best for him. I mean, like maybe it's a different situation. He finds himself in a different role and, you know, it, it can work out better for him. I mean, none of us ever had anything against the guy. No, except- good dude. Good, good dude. And a physical freak. I mean, that guy is jacked. Yeah. So, you know, you know, I hope uh, I hope he does well. All right. Well, all right. We just spent two minutes on Julian Gauthier. <laughs> <laughs> now let's now let's talk right, about this. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Now let's talk about the Rangers and the way that I sort of set this up for the listeners and the way that I, I pitched it to you when I asked you if you want to come on is that. The last couple of weeks, they've been hearing me talk a lot about what I'm seeing, my opinions, what I believe has been happening in front of us at this training camp. There's only a handful of us who get to watch these practices every day. And honestly, it's probably you and I are probably the ones that are there the most. So I'm curious for you. We'll get into some specifics. I definitely want a couple hot topics I want to bring up with you. But this training camp, like, is there any one big thing that has stood out to you through these first nine, 10 days, whatever it's been a little more than that, actually. Now I think it's close to two weeks, but what to you has been maybe the, the top storyline or the biggest takeaway in your eyes from camp so far? I think it's the coach. I mean, I think uh, the main thing that, that I've noticed is, you know, there's a, there's sort of a different attitude, I think, or a different vibe I get in the, in the locker room talking to these guys. And it's, you know, look, it's training camp to start of the season. You know how these athletes are. They're in the best shape of their their life, you know, <laughs> start of every training camp. And and me, uh, me all, too. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. No, not me. Not me, definitely. But <laughs> but you know, they're all they're all happy to be here. They're happy to get back. And you know, and that's to to an extent that's normal. And I just feel it's a little bit more this time. And I think it's well, there's, there's two reasons, right? Number one is the way last season ended, like they were really devastated. In, in losing in the way they lost to the devils. Right. I mean, they, you know, it's, I don't think that they really believed that they were going to lose to the devils. I, I thought they didn't necessarily take them seriously enough. And, uh, and I don't, I just think that they were stunned that they, they ended up losing, especially after, you know, winning the first two games in in Newark. So, so that's part of that. They're hungry to get back and prove themselves and, and rewrite the ending and all that. But I also think that, um, I think there is enthusiasm for the new coach and, and the fact, you know, and, the, and, and how different he is from the old coach. And, you know, um, Gerard Gallant came and coached the team for two years, 110 points the first year, got to the Eastern Conference final. Everything was great. 
um, second year, 107 points and go out in the first round. And, and, you know, I, I, I think, uh, things were not great. And, and I think guys are, are, yeah, I don't say anything bad about Glant, but I, I think guys are really, uh, really happy to, to have a different style coach. Uh, and, and some of the things that, that we've noticed of him on the ice, even just, uh, you know, he stops practices a lot more and he's doing a lot more instruction and this whole systems thing and my system, my system. Gallant used to tell us all the time, everybody runs the same system. This guy's like, nope, I got my system and this is how we're going to do it. And, you know, and, and he's, he's, they're working stuff and it, it can be boring to watch for us. Right. I mean, like, you know, cause they're going over the same stuff over and over and over again, but I think guys are ready for it. Guys are guys want it, and and guys are are happy to have it. And, and we've had a couple of people sort of say stuff, um, you know, that kind of reflects poorly on the coaching last year. Or, you know, in trying to compliment the new coach, it kind of throws a little bit of shade on the on the old coach. And um, so I just think that there's a different attitude, and that to me is is the biggest story that that I've taken away from camp overall. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. Like the the system stuff, there's more depth at least as far as what Laviolette is is being open with us about and what we're hearing from the players, there's there's more nuance to this system. I think there's a little more adaptability, whether it's based on opponent, whether it's based on situation. I think the players, I'm, I'm working on a story right now, talking to a few players about this, is some of the ways things might open up offensively, particularly for the defensemen. I, I think the neutral zone stuff and the way that sometimes they're going to be really aggressive and try to forecheck really hard. Sometimes they're going to trap and create uh, situations where you clog up passing lanes. Like there's all this, there's a little more depth to this system, I would say. And I think the players are certainly excited about that. To your point, we've heard multiple guys now make comments. And I can just give you an example of the very first day. I think you were there when he said it as well. Jacob Truba said, there's more direction with LaViolette and we need that. And, you know, that that stands out to you because they're saying that they need more structure. They need a little more hands-on kind of stuff, which is what we're seeing from LaViolette. And one of the questions that, that popped into my head while you were talking, because you've covered the league for a lot longer than me, it stood out to me, this camp, the practices, the pace is faster. Yeah, there's yeah. less there's less downtime in between drills. The practices are longer. I've seen more conditioning. I feel like each day at the end of these sessions. So it definitely seems like the guys are being worked harder. I mean, I don't know if you can compare it to someone you've covered in the past. Like, where does Laviolette stand in your mind as far as how hard he pushes the guys in this camp setting and in the practice settings? I think he's probably, you know, again, camp is different than when, when I – started doing this a hundred years ago because it's shorter, you know, you have less time to, to get this stuff. And I think he's hit the ground running. Um, there were guys on the first day um, that looked like they were in some kind of distress, right. After the yeah. practice, I won't, yeah. I won't name which guys, you know, this guy wasn't, wasn't looking so great or that guy wasn't looking so great. Or this guy was having trouble. Uh, but there were one or two guys that, that really seemed to, to, I don't say struggle with doing it, but you know, they were, they were, they were in pain afterwards. And um, you know, so I think he's probably run as hard a camp as anybody I've seen in the years that I've done this. But again, it's a, he's got less time to 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 work with than you know the old days. We would start camp on you know Labor Day weekend, you know. So now he's mm-hmm. you know you're, you've got like three weeks of camp as opposed to like four or five weeks of camp. So it, it is a little different. But no, he's going to push them hard. I'm curious to see, you know, it's training camp and the way the way the preseason schedule was structured. They had a bunch of games early and now they're going to have these two games in, in like a week to practice before, 
before, uh, you know, the, the opener. So, you know, it, it gives him time to kind of work those systems over and over and over again. And I'm curious to see, you know, how hard they're going to practice once the season starts. Cause it's easy to practice hard those first few days, kind of let the guys know, Hey, there's a new sheriff in town, but you know, when, when the games are being played and you're playing, you know, three games in four nights, uh, obviously uh, you're going to have to dial it back. So I'm curious to see how that's going to look. Yeah. And you know, even today, which is Tuesday, the day we're recording compared to Monday, Monday, we know he was, he was pissed after that game yeah, on Saturday. Mean- Uh, In Long Island. And even that stood out to me, you know, like a lot of coaches aren't going to make very much of a preseason game, but he was clearly trying to send the message on Saturday night that that he used the word unacceptable, that what he saw from them, as far as their effort went, he wasn't talking about the system stuff. Back checking is a universal language. I know you and I. You, <laughs> I think that's I, my favorite quote. Yeah, you and I both. You and I definitely both use that quote. He's been pretty good in these pressers too. I'll, I'll give him some credit there. We'll see. You know, if a few losses pile up and yeah, change yeah, at least three games in a row, it'll be, it'll be a little different. Yeah, no, but give him credit. I mean, he's been open with us. He's he, he's been really forthcoming, and we appreciate that for sure. But Monday, he worked them hard. Two hour yeah. practice. You know, they even stopped in the middle to cut the ice because they had been practicing so much. Tuesday was a little bit less, definitely a shorter session, and maybe we're going to get more into that groove now. Because you don't want to – there's a fine line, right? Like you don't yeah, want yeah, – you, you want them to be well-conditioned. You want to get your message across, but you also don't want to overwork them and have them gassed or hurt going into the season. Yeah, it's exactly that. I mean, as, you, as you're as you mentioning this, I'm thinking, you know, how we all gasped when Mika went down in that intra-squad scrimmage and, you know, and how, you know, Heedle's been out for a week now. We don't know what, what the issue is. I didn't see him get hurt. I don't know if you did. You know, he was practicing. That was one of those uh, two session days and like he was there and just didn't come out for the second session. And we haven't seen him since. So, you know, that's that's a balance, too. It's not it's 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 yeah. I mean, the legs and, and the lungs and, and you know, you're wearing guys down. But also the harder you go is, is the greater the risk of injury as well. It is a physical sport. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So from an individual standpoint, whether it's camp whether it's preseason, any names come to the top of your head as far as guys? We'll start with the positive guys who who you like what you're seeing from right now. I love what I'm seeing from Keandre. I think Keandre um, early on showed uh, an aggressiveness um, in some of those scrimmages and such. Um, You know, I think he's going to, he's looking to go for it, right? He's looking to, to join the rush. He's looking to join the play. You know, he's going to creep in from the point and he's going to get to that slot. And I think he's looking to to, to be more forceful, more aggressive uh, and score, you know, score some points. I, I, I chatted with him today, um, you know, just just really I haven't talked to him all, all training camp and it wasn't anything deep or anything like that. But uh, I was asking him about being on the power play and such. And at the end of our chat, I said to him, so what are you thinking this year? Maybe double digit goals and 50 points. And he said, you know, sounds good to me. So, you know, I, I think he's looking to, to take a step and build off what he even did last year. And and the fact that he's he's gonna get more power play time, it looks like from the you know, from the way they've been practicing. So I, I would uh I look forward to him having a big year. I'm curious to see what happens with Kako because as as you as you know, I mean they he's moved them around. He's played with a bunch of different guys in a bunch of different settings. I mean, he's he's been on the right of what looks like it could be a checking line. Uh, against the Devils, it looks like he's going to be on the right of what is supposed to be the top line with with Panarin and, and Zibanejad both. Um, so I'm curious to see what you know what ends up there, and I'm curious to see you know once once Phil gets uh, Heedle gets uh, healthy, you know what's what's in store for him as well. I mean, it looked on the first day, 
you know, LaViolette had three months after he got the job to think about what he wanted the lines to look like on the first day. And on the first day, he had Panarin with Heedle. So uh, I'm curious to see if if that is a thing. I mean, if, if Heedle does end up playing with Panarin, and if so, you know, what's the potential for that to happen? So those are those are three guys that I that I I got my eye on um <clears throat> in particular. And then you know, on the positive end. And then there is, you know, I have some questions too. I mean, I got a question about whether the, the backup goalie situation, you know, how well is that guy going to make the transition from being one of the greatest goalies of his generation to now being a backup, you know, and if he's going to play 20 games or 17 games, he's going to have to be good in those 20 games or those 17 games, you know, how good is he going to be in that role? So I do have some questions as the, as the season approaches here. Yeah, a few interesting points you hit on. I mean, Keandre, to me, I, I said this to him when we were talking a few days ago, like 43 points, really solid number for a guy like him. Definitely had some really good moments last season, but still feels like he's only scratching the surface. Right, I, I, right. Feel, I feel I yeah. there's there's more there, and, and you see it in this camp. And Laviolette definitely seems to be a big fan of his. So Miller absolutely could be a breakout candidate. And Kako, you know, they signed Blake Wheeler, and I do think that especially for the price tag that they got him at, you really couldn't do much better in the, in the cap situation that they were in. So that is a positive signing at a position where they really needed somebody. We've seen Lafreniere get some tries at right wing. I'm sure we're going to talk about him a little bit here. But Kako, to me, is clearly the best right winger on this team. And so while he's certainly trusted more in those defensive situations, and we might see him do some PK and, and, and things like that, if you're looking to put your best guys in the top line, I, I think Kako's the guy there. Well, so, and, and we might as well get into the laugh thing right, right now, because what I'm going to say is it depends on what you do with laugh, right? Because if, if you're going to give laugh a real look, I like him on the top line playing with Mika. And then, uh, and then I, then I would play Kako with whoever the second line center is, whether it's Phil or whether it's Trocek. Um, whatever. That's kind of how I would start with it because I, you know, if you're really committed to giving Laugh a look, I think that you might as well just put him up there on the on the top line with those guys and and see what he can do. I mean, you know, he did score in the second year, the first full year, right? The the, the first year was the was the 56 game season. The second year he played, you know, was the was the that weird one where you know we were coming out of COVID or whatever. And he had 19 goals that year, and and much of that was done playing with Mika and Kreider on the top line. So, I would like to see, you know, him get a run there and see, you know, see whether he can handle it and and what you know whether he is a real legit player. Um, and so that's what I would do, but I don't know if that's what the coach is going to do. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if you disagree with me. Um, I all indications for the first week of this camp were that that is what Laviolette yeah. wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. But but clearly I, he right. hasn't come out and publicly said, right. but I think you and I reading the tea leaves, yeah. especially seeing practice the last couple of days where he, he's not skating on the top line anymore. And we know that he had a rough go of it. That entire line that he was on had a rough go at it on Saturday night against the Islanders. It looks like Laviolette is not convinced with what he's seeing. I mean, I part, I, I go back and forth on this, like, do you just have to ride it out and give him the opportunity and say, you know what, preseason, you're going through some growing pains preseason. Maybe you're not busting your butt as much as you should be on every single shift, but let's see what you can do when the games really matter. Or if he's not playing well enough to earn that spot, do you, do you have to reconsider? It looks right now like LaViolette is reconsidering, but I guess, you know, where do you stand on all that? 
Well, so yeah, no, my, my feeling would be what you said at the front, uh, which is, yeah, uh, it's preseason. Look, it's the season is 82 games, right? I mean, it, you, you can't lose your mind over the fact uh, that opening night is on October 12th because your lineup could look very, very different, you know, six months later, you know, or, or game one of the playoffs. So I, I think that the first, I don't know, first X number of games, first eight, 10 games um, are just games that you got to figure out what you got. And and I think, um, you know, expecting, you know, th- there's a different level from preseason to, to, to regular season. So yeah, no, he's not, not tearing it up in the preseason by any means. And I, and I get what you're saying. If he hasn't really earned it, um, maybe you don't want to reward him or whatever, but I do think, you know, he's in his fourth year now. Um, he has not reminded anybody of Jack Hughes or any of those other number one overalls. And I think we need to find out about, it. so I would play him um, if, if I'm the coach with the top line, at least at the start, because, you know, he can play third line. Like, you know, we know that, right. He's done that for each of his first three seasons. He can go back to the third line and play left wing there. And if that's what he is and that's what he is, that's fine. But I think we owe it to the organization and to the kid himself to find out if he can be a first line player. And I, and that's, that's how I would look at it. And, and like I said, I don't, yes, the two points count the same, you know, the two points that you're going to play for on October 12th count the same as they do in March. But I, I think that, uh, you know, I think that you have some time early in the season where you can, you can take a, a better look at him than you would get in preseason. I, yeah, I don't disagree at all. I, I think in a lot of ways that would be the prudent move from a big picture standpoint. But, you know, Laviolette is really trying to set this tone of you got to work hard and he wants the guys they're going to play every shift like it's their last. And if he feels like, you know, maybe some other guys are doing a better job of that right now, I think we're going to maybe see some changes. Now, what's going to be interesting is how does this Panarin, Zabanajad, Kako line look on Wednesday? Because I think if those guys look good, they could solidify at least as far as opening night is concerned right. that they're going to be they're going to be the top line. If they don't look that great, then maybe he does reconsider going back to Lafreniere in that spot because I think I think you make a really valid point. At some point, he's got to get an opportunity like that to see what he does with it, and it's got to be in my opinion, longer than what we saw with Gallant. Because Gallant did it a couple times where he moved yeah, him to the yeah. right wing and moved him up, but it was only for a few games. It was never really for a long enough period to say, okay, you know, he's going to sink or swim in this spot. It just seemed like the plug was pulled pretty soon on him. I'm sure that affected his confidence. I'm I'm pretty confident it did affect that. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting spot that they're in with this right now. But the indications that we're seeing the last couple days are that he wanted to do that early on, yeah, and maybe maybe he's moving away from it now. So well, the other thing is too, you know, the the two young guys um, that are still here, you know, maybe they're, you know, you you would like to think that they would be lighting a fire on the laugh, um, but I, I I think you you and I, you know, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, but I don't I don't I still don't think that either one of them is going to be with the club on on opening night, but you know, maybe you know, and 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 the thing is. If Laugh's not playing on your top line or in your top six, then you know what are you going to do with him? Is he yeah. going to be a fourth line player? No, no, no. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think right now it's looking like it's, it's going to be th- either right wing somewhere in the top six 
or left wing on the third line. Because if you're going to play him on the third line, it really, there's no sense in forcing him onto the right side right, there. Right, right. Because <clears throat> you, you don't need to do it. The, the point of moving him to the right side was that that would open up an opportunity for him to get into the top six. But if you're not going to play him in the top six, it looks like he might end up back on the left side. All right. we I spent time with Lafreniere in the beginning of the show. We just talked about him more now. So I don't want to, I don't want to keep hammering that well, one. one. One, one, one quick question though. If, yeah. If Laf is not a right wing, now you now you run back to the same problem you have where you don't have many enough right wings, right? Well, Wheeler. I mean, who else do you have? Well, yeah, I think I make the team. if if La if Lafreniere does not play right wing, then I think almost surely you're going to have Kako and Wheeler as the top two right wings, and you're probably going to have Barclay Gaudreau as the right wing on the third line. I mean, you and I have talked about this a little bit. You, you feel pretty strongly that eight of the top nine forwards are set. Now, how they're going to be arranged as far as which line, which guy is going to be on, that is very much to be determined. But you know, Panarin, Zabanajad, Kreider, Lafreniere, Hedl, Kako, Wheeler, and Trocek. Those are your eight that are definitely in the top nine. The question is that ninth spot, and it's kind of gone back and forth in this camp. Sometimes it looks like it's going to be Goudreau. Sometimes it looks like it's going to be VC. But the benefit of Goudreau is that Goudreau can play all three forward positions. So that sort of gives you the flexibility if one guy is better on the left or better on the right, or if you have an injury at center, which is what we've seen the last few days where we've had Goudreau playing center. Goudreau is going to be that chess piece, I think, that they move around. I know a lot of fans want to know if Will Cooley or Brennan Othman is going to take one of those spots. I think during the season, that's a very, very real possibility. But I think given the current makeup of this roster, it's much more likely that those guys are going to start the year with Hartford and then get a call up as needed or if they force their way up just because they're playing so well. That makes sense. <clears throat> that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the whole, you know, they, they can go down without, you know, they have, they have options to go down, you know, pass them through waivers and, uh, you know, everybody else would have to go through waivers, uh, you know, that isn't going to be here. So. That makes complete sense to me. Any Anything else, like as far as concerns, I know one of the big talking points has been LaViolette wants them to play this grittier style, but do they have the personnel to pull that off? Right, we, right. We, heard, we heard Gerard Gallant ask for a lot of the same things and they weren't able to get it consistently enough. Where do you stand on that? Or, or is there something else about this camp or something else about this team that's on your mind as we get ready for the new season to start? I'm I'm curious as to as to Panarin as well. Like you know, here's a guy who shaved his head. He won't say he won't say if he shaved his head because you know he's mad that you know he didn't score against the Devils in the last six games that season. I don't know why he shaved his head, but um, you know he he did not look good Saturday night in that in that you know most recent preseason game. Um, there was one, he was minus three in the first period, right? Like so, you know, I, I he needs to step it up. I mean, like he's he's maybe missing Ryan Strom, you know, I mean, like he had, he had, he made magic with Ryan Strom for three years and then Strom's not there. And maybe he didn't make the same magic with, you know, with, uh, with Trocek. And, and I think that he's, you know, he needs to find somebody that he's going to play with now, whether that person is going to be Mika or it's going to be Phil Heedle, or if it's going to be Trocek again, um, something's got to change, right? I mean, something, uh, you know, he, he led the team in scoring last year and then in the playoffs was a disappointment. And and I think, uh, you know, we won't know about him, of course, until the playoffs, because, of course, he's going to lead the team in scoring again. 
Um, and and then we'll we'll be questioning, you know, whether you know what what that means anything, and and whether he's going to be able to score when it counts. So we won't, you know, it'll be six months before we find that out. But I'm but I'm curious to see, you know, how the season goes for him. I'm also curious. Well, not curious. I'm 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 pretty sure that Igor is going to have a nice nice year, um, closer to what he did in, in 21, 22 than to what it was last year. I think last year he got off to a little bit of a slow start. Um, and he was hard on himself and he seems to be, um, not only does he, uh, have a lighter attitude in the locker room, but I think he's been sharp, man, since, uh, since day one training camp, every practice he's been sharp. He's been good looking in the two preseason games that he's had. Uh, he's going to get a full game in one of these last two, probably I would guess. Now I, I probably he'll play in New Jersey. I would think, um, um, that. That's your question. You love asking the goalie question. You I, did, yeah, did not ask it today. We were all waiting for you to ask. We'll, um, we'll we'll find out Wednesday morning. But it would have yeah, been funny yeah, if you asked. No, that. yeah, I should have asked it today. But Ger- no, Ger- just just for the audience, Gerard Gallant used to get so mad at Colin because <laughs> Colin would always ask him who the goalie was going to be, and Gallant, I, I think he just did, he wasn't crazy about that question. I just I used to do it just to bust his chops more than anything else, and uh, you know after a time it became like our little thing. But uh, no, I think uh, you know I, I think they're in, they're in good looking they're in, they're in pretty good looking shape. I think. I mean, you know, I think Igor is going to have a you know I don't want to say a bounce back year because last year wasn't a bad year, but I think he's going to be better than he was last year and closer to what he was when he won the Vezina two years ago. And that's obviously you know that's the place to start if you're the Rangers. Um, and, uh, and like I said, you know, having a little bit more structure, having a coach that's going to give them more tools when other teams are frustrating them. Um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm I'm anxious to see how well they adapt to that. Yeah. And, and I would just chime in with this on the Panarin thing. Absolutely agree with you. Fascinated to watch him this season because, you know, he's at this point. I think you and I both agree. Really good dude has just like a great demeanor and attitude toward life for the most part. But he, he was really hard on himself about the playoffs last year. Yes. I definitely think it became a mental thing for him more than a physical thing. And how does he respond to that this season? Because there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. He knows it. He's talked about it pretty openly. And this team needs him to be one of their most dynamic players. He doesn't necessarily need to be the guy every single game. There's enough talent up and down whether it's Igor having a great game in goal or Mika or Adam Fox, there's enough guys around that he doesn't need to shoulder the load every single game, but they need him to be a dude. And, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how he ends up performing this season. Is is this a springboard? Does, does, is he, we know he's motivated, but does that turn into a okay. better performance and, and the playoffs that we know he's hoping to have, or does this continue to kind of, peck at his confidence and and maybe have a negative effect. So that's definitely an interesting thing to watch as well. All right, Colin, I appreciate it. I'll let you go. I know you got some writing to do, but this is fun. We'll do, you know, we'll make sure we do this again at some point on the road. Maybe yeah. we'll, get, we'll get Molly back on with us next time. Too. <laughs> Molly was off today. So, you know, what are you going to do? You know? Yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> know, we'll get so many days off. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, she's got, she's got Larry there. You know, it's a tag team. That's, that's a pretty good tag team. They got going over there. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, she's she's cool. And uh, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, you know, October twelfth, man. That's gonna be uh that's gonna be rocking. We're all gonna be there. What's really gonna be interesting is me, you, Larry, and Molly in a rental car driving five <laughs> hours 
up from Buffalo to Columbus. I'll report back to everyone on that, but just know there are no direct flight options from Buffalo to Columbus. So the four of us are going to be in the same car making that five-hour trek from Buffalo to Columbus. So that, that should be an interesting ride. You know what you should do? You should bring your podcasting equipment and we can podcast from the car. I'm sure Larry will love it. I'll get him on board. <laughs> All right, Colin. Thanks again, man. All right, man. Take care. All right. Always fun to chat with Colin. We'll see how much conversation we can come up with for that five-hour ride. I will definitely keep you guys posted on that. It should be a fun one. We've done some road trips together before, but I don't know if we've ever done five hours. That's going to be quite a long time in the car. But I honestly, I think all of us prefer that over doing some layover in some random city that ultimately when you factor in the time it takes to get to the different airports and go through security and all that end up being about five hours anyway. So we're just going to get right in a car and go in between that first game in Buffalo and that second game in Columbus. I believe that's going to be a practice day for the Rangers. So we're probably going to have to go pretty early to make sure we, we make practice, but should be a fun trip. And I'll definitely keep you guys posted. on anything fun that happens along the way. Now let's get into your Twitter questions for the week. The most popular question by far was something about, Alexi Lafreniere, a variety of different questions, but all basically about him and what's going on with him and his spot in the lineup and all that. But we've talked about that so much on this episode, whether it was the first segment or even again in that conversation with Colin, that we're going to move past that one and get into some other topics right now. And we'll start with what seemed to be the second most popular question of the week or some version of it. This one comes from Rosalind, who wrote, if one of Cooley or Othman makes the lineup, who is the odd one out? Everybody wants to know these last few days how realistic the chances are for one of these exciting young prospects to make the NHL roster out of camp. Now, I wrote my final projection for what the roster will be, which went up on loha.com slash sports slash Rangers on Monday morning. So you should definitely go check that out when you get a chance. But I'm standing by the opinion, and maybe I'm going to come back and eat my words, but this is based on reporting, based on what I've heard all summer and going into this camp, and my own observations and logic. And all of it points me to this conclusion. And that is that even though you got to give them credit, both Cooley and Othman have had good camps and especially some really encouraging moments in these preseason games that the Rangers are not planning to rush either one of those guys for a variety of reasons. And we'll lay some of them out here. The first one is this. There are 25 players remaining in Rangers camp. They've cut down the roster. Those two are hanging around. So that shows you that the Rangers clearly think highly of them and clearly they're close. They're rewarding them for having good camps. And they're also, I think, sending a message to the entire organization that if you play well, you're going to have a chance to get in the lineup for this team, regardless of your status, regardless of your age or anything like that. These guys, they view as 
pieces that could be impactful for them, whether it's this season or in future seasons, certainly looking more and more like it could be at some point this season. And I think them being in camp at this late juncture is a really good sign for both of them. And I think it's going to fuel confidence for both of them. But from a practical standpoint, they are the only two of the 25 remaining players in camp who can freely pass down to the minor leagues without having to clear waivers. So that means that they can send Cooley or Hoffman down at any point or call them up at any point without having to risk losing them to another team on the waiver wire. We just saw last week the Rangers put a bunch of guys through waivers and they lost Ty Everson, defenseman who I think probably was like fifth on their right side defense depth chart and was one of the better defensemen for the Hartford team last season. Emerson is now gone in San Jose and the Rangers take a hit to their depth. It's not the end of the world, but it's also something that if you can avoid it happening, you don't want it to happen. And the guys that are left in camp are the guys that the Rangers view as their best depth pieces. So if you can avoid it, you would much prefer not to run the risk of losing someone else to waivers. And I asked Laviolette this question on Tuesday, and he said, you're always conscious of that. That's something that always comes up in conversation when you're cutting down the roster. So absolutely believe that is going to be a factor for the Rangers here. And if you then protect as many assets as you can at this juncture, eventually, whether it's sooner or later, organically spots will open up where you don't have to take the risk. An injury will happen or somehow things will play out where later on in the season, you won't be as exposed to another team claiming one of your guys if you do have to make that roster move. So I think patience is prudent here. My belief, as I've expressed in what I've written and on the podcast again, is that the Rangers don't want Will Cooley or Brennan Othman sticking around as the 13th forward as a healthy scratch most nights. They would much prefer them to be down in Hartford or up in Hartford if we're talking about geography here. It's funny how people always say down when really it's north. Anyway, that's a side note. But they would much prefer them to be playing big minutes, top line, power play, penalty kill, all those different situations with Hartford versus playing pretty much not at all with the Rangers if you're the 13th forward. So I don't believe that either one of those guys is a candidate to fill that role. My opinion right now is that Johnny Brodzinski has pretty much won that spot. He's had a really good camp. And whether it's Alex Belzeal or Riley Nash or Jake LeCision, the forwards who were in direct competition with Brodzinski for that role as the 13th forward have all been sent down. So right now, to me, the writing is on the wall that Johnny Brodzinski is most likely going to make this team. He's a guy that they trust. They have no problem plugging him into the lineup in a pinch if needed. He can play multiple positions. He kills penalties. He takes faceoffs. He does a lot of different things that gives you the flexibility where if a left wing comes out or a center comes out or a right wing comes out, you could still plug him in and make the lineup work in a way where you're not playing guys completely out of position. And he's also a guy who at this stage, I think he's 
30 or close to 30 years old now, it's not like he needs the time with Hartford for development purposes. You're okay with a guy like that not playing very often, and you feel like it's not a big hindrance to his overall development. So Brodzinski, to me, has emerged as the favorite there because I don't think Cooley or Othman are options. Now, if you're going to decide to keep Cooley or Othman, I absolutely believe that it would be to actually play, to be in the lineup. And you can make an argument that, in some respects, they should be in consideration for that because, again, they've both had really good camps. But we've laid this out before. There are 12 forwards in this camp who I think quite clearly the intention is to have them in the opening night lineup. When they went out and they signed not just Blake Wheeler, but also Nick Benino and Tyler Pitlick, with the latter two, Benino and Pitlick, I think absolutely locked in to playing on the fourth line on opening night. Benino is a big Laviolette guy. I think of all the players on the roster right now, he has the most experience with him, and Laviolette has expressed how much trust he has in him. And Pitlick is a guy who I think under the radar is having a really good camp, big, strong, skates well, kills penalties, has done a lot of encouraging things in this camp as well, and the Rangers absolutely signed him for a reason. So those guys are in the lineup. We talked with Colin about what the top nine is going to look like, and I certainly don't think that either Barclay, Gaudreau, or Jimmy Vesey, who are the guys that are sort of on the cusp of might be in the top nine, might be on the fourth line playing with Benino and Pitlick, neither one of those guys is coming out of the lineup at this stage either. Gaudreau, we know the contract. We know how much he's valued for his versatility and and what he brings to the table. We could certainly debate the contract. We've done that over and over again. I'm sure we will again in the future, but he's not a guy you're taking out of the lineup. You're not going to convince anybody of that. And Jimmy Vesey is coming off a really solid season. They gave him a two-year extension. They are not going to put him on waivers at this stage. So I don't think that Any of those guys are coming out at this point. Could it happen in a few weeks if somebody isn't playing well or if somebody gets hurt? Absolutely. But right now, there is not an obvious opening in that lineup. I think the 12 forwards are pretty much set. So that is another sign that Cooley and Othman are most likely going to the minors to start the season. And then the last thing I would add on it is this. We've seen instances in the past the recent past, where the Rangers have rushed guys or put guys in the NHL before they're absolutely ready. And it has, in a lot of cases, had a negative impact on that player. Now, would all these players have turned out differently had they waited? We don't have a definitive answer to that, whether you're talking about Elias Anderson or a Vitaly Kratzoff or even a Brett Howden as a guy that they got up here really quickly Philip Hedl eventually worked out, but it took him a few seasons to get his footing. A lot of these guys came through the system really fast, did not spend very much time at all in the AHL, and then stagnated or hit bumps in the road, or in a lot of those cases, just never ended up working out here. So I think from talking to people about this in the last, not just months, but years, that the lesson that has been learned is that patience a lot of times is going to not only not hurt you, but it's going to be the best thing for the prospect. Will Cooley spent a full year in the AHL last year, by all accounts made a lot of progress, and now you see him knocking on the door. Brennan Othman has not played a single AHL game. So 
This is a guy who is now just turning pro, and the logical step in his progression is to get some time in the AHL. Let him go there and build confidence and rack up points and continue to evolve his game, and that way when he does come up to the NHL, he's as prepared as possible for that opportunity. Because if you throw him into the NHL now and he falls flat and he loses confidence, then you sort of have to start building from the ground up again and repair that. The best path, I believe, is to let these guys master the next level. And then when it's clear that they're ready, that's when you give them the opportunity. So all of those reasons, I believe, make me confident. And I think a lot of people, it sounded like Colin agreed with me. I think a lot of people who are in the know feel this way as well, that even though those guys have had good camps and even though they've stuck around maybe longer than some people expected them to, the plan is still in place. And unless, let's say, Heedle isn't ready for opening night, that certainly could change things. But if everybody's healthy, I think they're going to stick to the plan and that you'll see those guys at some point down the line. Now, between the two, which I believe was the original question, I do feel, as I've repeated now, that Cooley is going to get the first crack at it. Again, a year older, had a full season with Hartford last year where he led the team in goals, made a lot of positive strides, a bigger, more physically mature player. Laviolette has spoken very highly of him. I think some of the opportunities that we've seen him get make it evident that they feel like he's very close. And if the opportunity arises, again, whether it's because of injury or because somebody at the NHL level isn't performing – I find it very easy to envision Cooley stepping into that left wing role on the third line and getting a real chance to be a contributing player for the Rangers. Othman, I think it's going to be a little bit longer probably before we see him, but he can dictate that with his play. So if he goes down and he's tearing it up in Hartford, then maybe that narrative there changes as well. But kudos to both of those guys because they have been playing their butts off in a lot of these games. They've both found ways to contribute offensively. They've shown good effort and commitment to defending and being physical and some of the other aspects that we know that LaViolette is looking at right now. And it certainly sounds like he's impressed them. So they've put themselves in good positions. But again, the the logic tells us, especially with the cap restrictions that the Rangers have right now, where they can't carry more than 22 players going into the season, that those guys are still most likely heading to Hartford. Again, maybe I eat my words. Maybe I end up being wrong on this, but I think there are a variety of reasons that I just laid out why they're probably not going to make the team right out of camp, but we should see them get an opportunity pretty soon here. All right, let's get to our our next question, which comes from Eddie Nathan, who wrote, great spotlight story on Wheeler today. What have you seen from him at practices? He's been known for great vision and playmaking. How's his skating looked in competitive practice sessions? Well, Eddie, I appreciate the plug for the story. Glad we were able to get that in. Definitely everyone go check that one out if you get a chance. I sat with Blake a few days ago at his locker for a while after one of the practices when he was in the non-game group. So those are good days to sit down and chat with guys because they don't have anything going on for the rest of the day and, and you can really sort of dive in a little deeper with them. And really interesting conversation talking about the small town feel that he had playing in Winnipeg where he'd look into the stands and he'd see his dentist or he'd see his kid's pediatrician and all these faces that he recognized from around the community and what a difference it is coming to New York. But he also talked about how 
the pressure you felt in that environment where the whole town was so into it and so passionate about it and you knew the people that you were playing in front of and playing for, that that added pressure in a lot of ways. So he feels like he's equipped to handle the pressure. Seems like he has a really good demeanor about him. I spent some time talking to Jacob Truba about him the other day. Truba just raves about him and the way that he took him under his wing when Truba first got to Winnipeg and Wheeler was in a leadership position. I don't know if he was captain exactly when Truba arrived, but if he wasn't when he got there, he was shortly thereafter. And Truba talked about Wheeler having him over to his house for dinner and just giving him advice and Truba watching the way that Wheeler went about his business at the rink and off the ice as far as his training and all that, but also in the way that he treated people, in the way that he treated his family. And it seems like that's a guy that Truba really leaned on and is just a guy who, from a leadership standpoint, should have a really positive impact on the locker room. But Eddie, your questions about what I've seen from him on the ice, a few things have stood out. Number one, big, big dude. I mean, this is a massive human being. Keandre Miller is also listed at 6'5", I believe. They're both 6'5". So, and Ben Harper, I think, might even be a little bit more than that. So he's not quite the tallest guy on the team, but he's right up there. But he's also like 225, thick, really good physical condition. I mean, this is going to be a big body that I think could be a different element in this Rangers lineup. He's not necessarily a guy who's always going to just post up at the net front, but he really seems to like to work down on that half wall where he can protect the puck, where he seems to be able to hold it and maneuver through defenders and use his body to shield the puck and then use his vision and his playmaking to find passing from that spot. So I think almost kind of how we see Kako function at times where he's a guy that can hold the puck down low and find passing lanes and make plays. That is very much going to be Wheeler's role. And as far as the skating, straight line, I think he looks pretty quick. I've seen him in a lot of these conditioning drills and just a lot of drills in general where he's beating guys in straight line. Remember, earlier in his career, this is a guy who, as big as he is, was considered a strong skater. That was one of the things that that got him a lot of positive notice and that made him such an effective player. I'm sure everyone, including him, would tell you he's not quite as fast as he was when he was in his prime. But straight line, he still looks like he can move pretty well. I think where you see him maybe lumbering a little bit more at this stage is when he has to quickly change direction or on his edges. So that is an area where I'm sure it's not what it used to be for him. But as I wrote about in my story today, at $8.25 million, which is what Winnipeg was paying him before they bought him out, that's a pretty hefty price tag for a guy at that stage of his career where his production is starting to dip a little bit. But for the Rangers, for an $800,000 one-year contract, it really looks like a bargain for them, especially considering the big need that they have at right wing. And as we spoke about with Colin, if Lafreniere does not stick at right wing, you're going to need Wheeler even more to most likely be a top six guy for you. So absolutely a low risk gamble worth taking in my mind for the Rangers. And again, seems like a really well-liked guy in the locker room already. And I think that is going to have a positive impact on the Rangers as well. But yeah, he's a guy that I think is very much going to look 
to control pucks down low, control pucks around the wall, look to find passes from there, look to draw defenders, and then maybe find the open man. And he's also a guy that I think when it comes to just getting up and down the ice, he can still move decently well. Not a burner anymore at this stage, but I also don't think you're going to see this big slow guy either. I, I still think he can skate decently well, and he might now at this stage be more prone to using that size to get inside and, and do some of the dirty work in there because, again, big, strong dude. Like, he stands out when you see him on the ice because he's just a lot bigger than most of the other guys out there. All right, final question comes from Jerry Bloggs who wrote, Curious how the new guys are fitting in with the group. Who do you get the sense Wheeler, Gustafson, Pitlick, Benino, etc. seem to be vibing with? Well, Wheeler, I mentioned great relationship with Truba, but I also think he's a guy that as he gets more comfortable, will take young players under his wing and, you know, a strong family man, a guy who I think has a really just always smiling, kind of a positive, good vibes demeanor about him. Gustafsson, I know, has a good relationship with Mika Zabanajad. They're the only Swedish guys on the team right now. And Gustafsson told us that Mika was part of the recruiting pitch for him. And he picked Mika's brain a lot before he signed here. I've seen those guys chatting and laughing quite a bit. I've also seen Gustafsson obviously chatting and talking quite a bit with the rest of the defensemen. His locker, I believe, is right in between Braden Schneider and Ben Harper. But definitely good relationship with Mika. That's been pretty evident. Pitlick is a guy who he's over in the part of the locker room where you've got Lafreniere and Panarin and Trocek and some of the other forwards. So that seems to be the crowd where he's hanging out with. Interestingly, all these guys that you named have families of five. All these guys that they've signed, Wheeler, Gusterson, Pitlick, Benino, and Quick, all have three kids, which I found really interesting because this is a locker room that a year or two ago had very few players that had kids. And now all of a sudden you got all these veterans that came in and each of them have three kids. Vincent Trocek has multiple kids. Mika Zabanajad just had a kid. Barclay Gaudreau's wife is expecting. So there's a lot all of a sudden, a lot more dads in the room right now, which I find kind of interesting. Maybe that'll be a fun story to do at some point. And then Nick Benino is, is the last guy you mentioned here, Jerry. He's over in the corner with a lot of those guys that I think you're going to see in the bottom six. I've noticed him chatting with Barclay Gaudreau quite a bit. So it's interesting to see where the lockers are placed because a lot of times that can be based on who you're friends with, but it also can be based on guys that you're likely to play with. A lot of the defensemen are grouped together. A lot of the forwards are, are grouped together. And then obviously Igor and Jonathan Quick have goalies right next to each other. But all these guys for the most part, seem to be fitting in pretty well. I think there's a little awkwardness and a little bit of a feeling each other out period at the beginning. But just in my brief conversations with all these new guys so far, they've all been pretty open and seem pretty happy and seem pretty comfortable talking to guys about where they're living and how they're settling in. And, you know, the family aspect of this shouldn't be overlooked because a lot of these guys have kids that were in school systems in different cities and now you're moving them again. So that is certainly not easy. But the locker room feels pretty tight-knit. It also helps that there's a core there that have been together for a while. And I think when you're adding different pieces to that core, I think they're very strategic, first off. They're definitely getting guys that they view as positive leaders, guys that have experience, guys that will maybe bring some, some elements that fit in with the other guys in that locker room. 
But it also, it's not a locker room where it feels like people don't know each other that well. Like everybody seems to know each other pretty well. And I think for the new guys, that makes it feel like a little bit more of a seamless transition. All right. With that, let's end this week's episode. Thank you to Colin Stevenson for coming on the show. Always have a good time with Colin when he comes on. Thank you to all of you for submitting your questions and for listening. As I said at the top, we're going to have one more episode next week that will drop probably on the day of the first game, which is next Thursday, October 12th. And then we're rolling. We're getting right into the season. A lot of travel right off the bat for the Rangers and for me. Seven of the first nine games are on the road. We'll have a new podcast for you every week. Going to have a guest who I think is going to help us preview the game and the season coming at you next week. But until then, I'm going to try to get some rest. Enjoy this last week or so of relative downtime, although it's still pretty busy with all these practices and a couple more preseason games. But nonetheless, enjoy my nights home with the family before I'm traveling a lot. I hope you guys are all doing well and enjoying your time with your friends and family as well. I appreciate all of you, and I will talk to you next week. Oh,